If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we opened this evening with a reading from Isaiah 9. It contained a promise given by the prophet Isaiah over, 400, or over 740 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 740 years before that baby was born in the manger. And yet it prophesied about his birth all those years earlier. Isaiah prophesied about the soon and coming king. He prophesied about the one who would be the light of the world. The one who has the power to overcome any darkness in your life and mine. So I want to look at that passage in its entirety tonight. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I'd like to read it from the New Living Translation. I really like uh, this translation. But you need a little background before I do. Uh, when Isaiah was writing uh, his, this book, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had developed a pattern of rejecting God. They wanted to do their own thing and go their own way, and they were disobeying his word and, and, and not going his way. And so God, as an act of loving discipline, used foreign nations to bring about his mighty hand of discipline upon his people. And yet all of that while, there was that whisper of, of mercy and grace on God's behalf, letting them know that they were loved by him, assuring them of his presence with them. And that's what's taking place as Isaiah is, begins chapter 9. In the previous chapters of Isaiah, the prophet was prophesying judgment upon the land and its people because of their sin. And then suddenly, it's as if Isaiah's tone seems to change under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God gives Isaiah pictures of the incredible blessing that was coming to his people through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we go from hopelessness at the end of chapter 8 and despair, and we kick off in chapter 9 with the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, that offers a future hope for those who believe, and that's where we pick up tonight, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity." The passionate commitment of the Lord of heavenly armies will make this happen. This passage in Isaiah is a messianic prophecy fulfilled with the birth of Jesus Christ. We see its fulfillment in Luke chapter 2 verse 11 when it reads, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Messianic prophecy, it refers to a compilation of over 100 predictions in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. And even though many of these prophecies were given over a thousand years ago, they have undeniable accuracy. That should tell you how much you can trust the Word of God. 
Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of these messianic prophecies foretold by the Old Testament prophets, including this one given by Isaiah. You need to know that Isaiah gave this prophecy of good news to a people who were in the midst of destruction and devastation, to a nation who had turned their back on God and as a result found themselves depleted of hope and in a place of despair. That will always happen when we turn our backs on God. Scripture tells us that the people he was prophesying to were dwelling. Don't miss that word. They were dwelling in darkness. They were not in a good place. In verse 1, we're told that the people were filled with gloom and distress. We know from chapter 8 that Assyria was about to invade the land. You need to know that the Assyrian Empire was the superpower of that time. They were a formidable force, and Israel had valid reason to fear them. Israel was about to be devastated and decimated, and they knew their people would eventually be taken into captivity and exiled to a distant land. They had a right to be in despair and hopeless. Isaiah 8, 22 uh, says about the invasion that Isaiah prophesied, wherever Israel looked, there would be trouble and anguish and dark, and dark despair. I wonder if any of us can identify with, with that statement tonight, that everywhere you look, there, there's anguish and trouble and dark despair in your life. If that's you, I have good news of great joy for you tonight. Israel was speaking, or Isaiah was speaking to a people who were in the midst of crisis, whose life was filled with hope, hopelessness. And it was in that very atmosphere that Isaiah came promising that God would shine his light into their darkness, promising that Israel's troubles would end with the birth of a child. That child would usher in hope and dispel their darkness with his glorious light. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that needs that kind of hope. If there's anyone here in the midst of crisis and filled with hopelessness that you need some good news of great joy. I want you to note that Isaiah did not arrive on the scene glossing over the hopelessness and offering a quick fix in the form of good news. He wasn't minimizing their pain. He was maximizing their hope. Isaiah came validating the realness of the darkness they were experiencing and acknowledging the influence it was having upon their lives. The darkness he was describing wasn't a physical darkness like we experienced in the room tonight. I intentionally let you sit in that darkness for, for a length of time because I wanted you to feel it. That was not the kind of darkness Isaiah was describing. The darkness he was referring to was an emotional, a spiritual, and a moral darkness. A darkness that came as a result of not following God's will and not trusting him with their life. That kind of darkness drains people of hope. It drains people of power. And it diminishes the belief that with God nothing is impossible. And it leaves you stuck in hopelessness. Isaiah came bearing a promise in the midst of pain, the promise that a child was going to be born, a son was going to be given, who would be a wonderful counselor. Does anybody need a wonderful counselor tonight? He was going to be a mighty God, a heroic God who fights on our behalf. He, he was going to be an everlasting father, a father who has your best interests at heart and who loves you with an everlasting eternal love. He was going to be a prince of peace, a God who even in the midst of war, who even in the midst of crisis and turmoil could usher in peace, even though your circumstances might never change. He was going to be a God who would overcome darkness, who would bring hope in the midst of hopelessness. And even though it was a tumultuous and, and, and trying time for Israel, Isaiah's promise brought great hope for his people. It should bring great hope for us tonight as well. The light shining on the people in the darkness was a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. I told you it was a messianic prophecy. It was about the one we celebrate this Christmas, this Christmas season. 
Some of you say, Rhea, how do you know those verses are a picture of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible tells us so. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. I, I want to read that to you tonight. I, I need my Bible, my other Bible. Does somebody have it? Where is my bag? Yes, Matthew. Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Where was the prophetic word from, from Isaiah given? He said, Galilee of the Gentiles. So make note that Jesus is now beginning his ministry in Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came up and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. There's the prophecy that it might be fulfilled. This is why he did it, so that this prophecy from Isaiah would be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Isaiah uh, was, uh, Matthew was telling us that Isaiah's prophecy uh, from Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 2 were fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And, and Matthew identifies him, Jesus Christ, as the light shining in the darkness. Later we know that Jesus spoke about himself saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That baby born in the manger Christmas morn is the one who shines his light into our darkness and overcomes it with his presence. And he promises, this is his promise to you and to me, that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how hopeless it seems, his presence in our lives always overcomes the darkness. When we walked into this room tonight, we flipped the switches and the light overcame the darkness. It didn't work the other way around. Light always overcomes darkness. Notice that Isaiah says the people he was prophesying to were dwelling in deep darkness. That word dwell in the original language means to abide, to dwell, to have one's abode. That's really important because it tells me that darkness was their norm. It was what they were used to living in. They were abiding in it. Darkness had become all they expected. It was part of their everyday life. They had surrendered to it. They had embraced it. They didn't expect anything to change. And maybe, just maybe, that's you tonight. Maybe darkness is all you know. Maybe misery is all you know. Maybe trouble and turmoil and heartache and hopelessness is all that you know. And that you've embraced it and you accept it as the normal in your life. But I have good news of great joy for you tonight. That baby born on Christmas morning came to bring light into your darkness. And to overcome the schemes and the plots and the assignments of the enemy in your life and in mine. And help you and I walk in victory and not in defeat. The word darkness is very interesting this passage, it was used, of course, to denote spiritual darkness, a life without Christ, if you will. But it was also used figuratively, and, and this is what I really want you to get tonight. It was used figuratively to mean misery, destruction, sadness, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, obscurity. That being the case I just wonder if any of you are dwelling in darkness tonight. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're dwelling in spiritual darkness. Perhaps you're dwelling in a place of misery, sadness, or sorrow that you can't escape. Maybe it's a habitual, ongoing sin that's keeping you in the dark. Or, or possibly you find yourself in a place where everything around you is, in, is broken and in need of repair, and it's a dark time for you. Maybe you're here tonight, and the darkness you're dwelling in is obscurity, the feeling of being unknown, unimportant, and feeling like no one really understands you. 
Tonight, we started the service in the darkness. We turned off the lights, and darkness seemed to fill the sanctuary. I just wonder if at any point did you wonder who turned out the lights? Did, did you ask yourself, why is it so dark in here? I wonder if you ever ask yourself that question when you look at the world around you and you see the amount of evil looming in it. Do you ask yourself that question when you turn on the news at night or you review the news feed on your phone? Last week, someone was telling me about the homeless population in Milwaukee and how people are in an uproar fighting about not wanting the city to provide shelter for them. It grieved my soul. People all around us are hurting and in need. The homeless, the poverty-stricken, the incarcerated, the abused, the broken, the addicted, people prostituting themselves for love, children being trafficked, people are suicidal, homes are broken, mental illness is skyrocketing, and I look at this world and I wonder, who turned out the lights? How did our lives become so dark? Maybe you're asking this question in your own personal life. Maybe you're dealing with a family crisis or perhaps darkness has moved into your marriage in the form of an affair, an addiction, or financial issues. Maybe your darkness came in the form of a bad medical report, the loss of a loved one, or a body racked with pain. Perhaps the light is dimming around you as you deal with a prodigal child, mental illness, or an issue at work. Maybe darkness for you looks like extreme loneliness, isolation, deep depression, or a horrible memory that looms like a dark cloud around you. Where do we go when the lights go out in our world and we wonder if they'll ever get turned back on again? Everyone searches for light when the darkness gets overwhelming. We all want relief. We all want reprieve. We want answers about who caused the lights to go out in the first place. And sadly, most of us look in all the wrong places trying to get reprieve from that darkness. Many of you are sitting here tonight in a dark night of the soul. And I have news for you. Unto us, a child has been born. That was the message Isaiah brought 740 years before the birth of Christ. And that, my friends, is the message of Christmas. That baby born in the manger was born so that we could live, so that we would have life and have it more abundantly. He doesn't just want us to have life. He doesn't just want us to exist. He wants us to have abundant life. Do you understand that? Abundant life. He came to be the light of the world and to overcome the darkness that looms on our horizon. Isaiah came with an announcement of the birth of a child who would usher in hope. Does anybody know I'm going to be a grandma again? 13 days, I can hardly wait. I'm just counting the days. My son Tyler and his wife Betsy are expecting a baby boy on December 29th, and, and, and I just can hardly wait. And and I just want to share that good news with you. I want to make that birth announcement. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about Isaiah and how he had a birth announcement he wanted to make too. And he wanted to share it with the people he was ministering to. Only his birth announcement didn't come 13 days early. It came 740 years early. Can you imagine? I was thinking, I'm sure Betsy and Tyler are going to send out a birth announcement with a picture depicting all of my grandson's best qualities. And trust me, you will hear me boast of all his great strengths. <laughs> Isaiah's birth announcement did the same thing. He announced the birth of a child, the son of God, and he quickly followed his announcement with a picture of all his great strengths. And he was highlighting all his best qualities. He said this child would be a wonderful counselor. He would be a mighty God. He would be an everlasting father. And most importantly, he would be the Prince of Peace. And so I want to just take a few moments and look at those names just a little closer. Verse 6 says, unto us a child is born. I don't want you to miss that. Look how personal that is. Unto us, every last one of us, a child has been born. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin 
shall conceive a child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, this was not just an ordinary child born, like mine is going to be born in 13 days. It was a child born to us, and he was going to be called Emmanuel. Do you know that the word Emmanuel means God with us? How did God come to be with us in the form of a child? Flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her to Mary and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Unto us a child is born. Unto us the son is given. He wasn't just a child born. He was a son given. Uh, you all can quote John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, it was his son. A son was given. God's son. And the child given wasn't born of a human father. Scripture tells us he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. God was his father. And he was given to us. This blows my mind. You see, he was given by the God who knows everything. The all-knowing God. He knows every last thing about us. Do you understand that? He, he knows the number of hairs you have on your head. I remember when our oldest son had dreadlocks. He, oh, <laughs> did he not? It was terrible. Like, he looked cute as a whip in it. But I'm telling you, they smell. They're not fun. And, and he would like have beads in them. And he'd be like, can you fix my bead? And I'm like, I'm not touching that. I just, you, you, don't touch, you, you don't even wash dreadlocks. You pour chemicals over them. And, and, but I didn't even want to touch my son's hair. And yet God numbers your hair. He knows exactly how many hair you have on your head. I have a thyroid problem. Anybody have a thyroid problem in here? What happens when you wash your hair? Hands full of hair. I mean, you lose hands full. I, I, I clog the drain all the time because you, your hair just falls out constantly. Every time I look at the hair in my bathtub, I think, oh man, God just took a new hair count. He loves me. He loves me. Do you understand how much you're loved by God? He's the God who knows everything there is to know about you. That includes every dirty, rotten thing you've ever done. He already knows. And guess what? He loves you anyway, so much that he would give his only begotten son to you. Unto us, a child was born. Unto us, a son was given. I want you take, to take note that the word child here describes Christ's humanity, and that's really important. He was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Christmas is about God coming into the world as a baby, God incarnate. You see, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, the Word, it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Fully man, fully God. Do you see it? Paul says, great is the mystery of, godless, of godliness. And then he adds, God was manifest in the flesh. This is great mystery, that God could be manifest in the flesh. Do you see, unto us a child was born. But the word son establishes his deity. The angel told Mary and Joseph, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He was a son given and that, that phrase suggests pre-existent deity. It means he already existed as God in the second person of the Trinity, and then he was given to us. Jesus, the God-man, divinity wrapped in humanity. I love it. Skip Hetzing says, Jesus was undiminished deity and unprotected humanity. I love that. Undiminished deity an unprotected humanity. Isaiah says, his name shall be called. And, and the word name there, it doesn't mean a name like Rhea. If you look up that word in the original language, it means his reputation, his fame, his character shall be called. Now keep in mind, these are not names of Jesus per se, but rather descriptive character traits of him. 
And the first one he lists is wonderful counselor. It, 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 it tickles me how commentators will, will debate each other. And some commentators say, well, the way it's written, it's wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, mighty God, comma, everlasting father, comma, prince of peace. Other commentators say it's wonderful counselor, comma, all one, all one phrase. Are you with me? I tend to think that's correct, but it doesn't really matter. When you begin to tear the words apart, the word wonderful there means a miracle, a wondrous thing. It means exceptional, extraordinary, hard to understand. But my favorite definition is incomprehensible. Do you know that we serve a God who's incomprehensible. I can't even understand him. He's so big. He's so marvelous. He's so extraordinary. I can't even wrap my arms around who he is. He's that big. The same word for wonderful is used in Judges 13, 18, when Manoah asked the Lord what his name was. And the angel of the Lord responded, why do you ask my name, seeing it's wonderful? In other words, why do you ask my name since it's beyond your understanding? He's incomprehensible. He's a wonderful, exceptional, incomprehensible counselor. The word counselor there is the same word that's used for the king's most trusted advisor. That tickles my heart because that tells me that our counselor is familiar with the counsel of the king of kings. He's his most trusted advisor. The word counselor means to advise, to consult, to give counsel, to purpose, to devise, to plan. But my favorite definition is to resolve and advise well. Can I tell you that you have a wonderful counselor? That if you go to him with your problems, if you go to him with your concerns, if you go to him with your anxieties and your worries, if you go to him with the decisions that you need to make and you don't know which choice to take, can I tell you, he will be a wonderful, exceptional, beyond comprehensive a counselor and he will resolve well. He will advise you well. There is no other counselor like him. No wonder the crowds came in droves to hear him speak. His counsel was perfect. It far surpasses human wisdom. Remember, he's the God who knows. In John 2.25, Jesus said, I don't need man's testimony about mankind because I know what is in a person. Can I tell you, he knows what's in you. Can you imagine going to a counselor who already knows everything about you, and you go to him and you say, you know, I just want to talk to you about my, this situation at home, and he says, yeah, I already know. I, I just want to talk to you about this anxiety. Yeah, I already know, and I know what's causing it. I know the root cause of it. I, I can tell you exactly what the issue is. Can you imagine? In every situation we face in life, every challenge we have, Every obstacle we encounter, he knows exactly what to do. He is a wonderful counselor. All I have to do is seek his counsel. Proverbs 3 says, in all, or trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. The wonderful counselor knows what's in a man and he knows your heart and you could not ask for a better counselor. And because scripture says he's familiar with all your ways, He's able to counsel you in, in a way that will address your deepest needs. He's qualified in a way no human counselor can provide. Colossians uh, 2 says, in him is hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He knows it all. Why should we seek counsel from any other source? My son Tyler always teases me and asks me if I could get a tattoo with him. He wants to get matching tattoos. And I said, Tyler, if I would ever even think about doing that, darling, what would you want to get tattooed? And he said, Mama, that scripture you always spoke over me. From the time he was a little boy, I would say to him, Tyler, don't look to the left or the right, but set your face like flint. And when you do, there'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Do you understand that that's the kind of counselor you have? If you don't look to the left or the right, if you're not swayed by what's happening in your circumstances, but you set your face like Flint to seek him, he will be the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He's a counselor you can trust. Romans 11 says, his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? 
Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be his counselor? He is a wonderful counselor. And he wants, he wants to provide direction and guidance for you. But, but here's the thing. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever had somebody that's come for you to, to you for advice and they've asked you for your opinion and, and they come often and they, they, they really, like, really kind of suck you dry, and, but they never do what you tell them to do? The kind of people who, who, who want what you have to give, but they never want to make any changes. Sometimes I'm like that with God. Sometimes I go to him for counsel. Sometimes I open up his word for direction, and he counsels me in his word, and it's hard. And I say, thank you, but no thank you, good counselor. I, I, don't, I don't really want to change. I believe that's good counsel, but you know what? It, it costs me too much to do it. He's not only a wonderful counselor, he's a mighty God. He's the one who will give you the power to do what he's counseling you to do. Interestingly enough, that word wonderful is used in the, in the verse, in the same word that's used in Genesis 18, 14, that says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The word wonderful is hard there. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And what that means is he's wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor and nothing is too hard for him. He is the mighty God in whom nothing is impossible. Do you understand that? The next name that Isaiah says is that he's a mighty God. Notice he's not just another mighty God. He is the mighty God. Jesus himself said the Father and him were one, one and the same. The word mighty means powerful. It means warrior. It means champion, chief. It means a giant. It means a mighty man, a strong man, a valiant man. The phrase literally means the heroic, strong God. Do you know you serve a heroic, strong God who wants to fight your battles for you? The Bible says that you need to just stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. He wants to fight for you. And if God be for you, who in their right mind could be against you? Do you understand who he is? He is a mighty God. You see, you're so busy fighting your own battles this way, fighting each other, bringing disunity in the body of Christ, when all the while God says, I want to fight this battle for you. Do you know I'm a mighty God? I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. He's God's son given to us, and he possesses the power of God. Uh, he is omnipotent. you know what that word means? It means he possesses unlimited power and is able to do anything. That's our God. Rick Renner, one of my favorite commentators, says the word for mighty is gibber. Uh, and, and he says the root of this word is GBR. That's the consonants that are found in this word. But he said if you look at the consonants of gibor, there are two Bs, not one. And that's called doubling the middle radical. This is interesting. Stay with me. It's a technique that's used to add emphasis to a word. So this is not just a mighty God. This is a very mighty and particularly powerful God. It's like having an exclamation point in the middle of the word. Second, we discover that most of the uses of gibber surround military conquests and actions. Gibber is a word for someone who carries out great deeds, a hero. Third, by looking at other instances of Gibber, we find that only men who demonstrate prowess, strength, and exceptional accomplishments are called Gibber. Now you see why this name is so startlingly unusual. This is a child who has Gibber from birth. He was born to power. Something marks him as totally exceptional. Part of the name of this baby born among the livestock in the backwoods village shouts out his true identity, the almighty God for whom nothing is impossible. Renner says, yes, babies are cute. They're certain, there's a certain softness to newborns, but never let the depiction of the manger scene rob you of what is really happening here. El Gibar has arrived among men, and his presence will change everything. This is a birth for which there is no parallel. This is the creative power of the universe wrapped in a hand-woven cloth sleeping in Mary's arms. Oh, dear one, do you know unto you has been given a mighty God 
hard circumstances and difficult circumstances cannot rob me of peace and hope, but knowing that I have a mighty God to rely on and trust to strengthen me. He wants to bring us through triumphantly. Do you understand who he is? He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. Father, a good father, always has the best interests of his children at heart. A father provides, he protects, he loves, he admonishes, even disciplines. But he always puts the needs of his children first and places their interests above his own. That alone for me is comforting to know that he's a good, good father and that he cares about me. But the phrase everlasting father, it's deeper than that. It's a phrase that indicates time. In the Hebrew language, everlasting means perpetuity, 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 there you go. <laughs> it means forever. It means continuing perpetuity, that's it, continuing future of, exi- of continuous existence. The title is a Hebrew idiom to describe the Messiah's relationship to time. It's one of continuous existence. Do you remember when Jesus called Satan the father of lies? Do you remember that? Uh, That word father means originator of lies. He was saying Satan is the originator of lies. Everything coming off his life, the offspring of his life is lies. It's the same kind of principle here. Jesus is the father of everlasting, the originator of forever, the originator of everlasting. And because he's the everlasting father, his rule in our life, rule in our life is not limited by death or old age. His role of a good father, a protector, a provider will continue forever. We are his children. The Bible says that those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The scripture says, as a father has compassion on his children, so will God have compassion on those who love him. We are his children. And a good father takes good care of his children. He is the prince of peace. The word prince means ruler, chief, official, captain, commander, overseer, the head. I love that. He's the head of peace. He's the commander of peace. Do you understand that? He commands peace into your life. The word for peace is shalom. It doesn't just mean, you know, in Israel, if you go to Israel, even today, people will greet you with shalom. And it means so much more than hi, how are you? The word shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. It means safety and soundness. It means prosperity, health. It means peace and quiet and tranquility. It means contentment. Rick Renner again, I'm sorry, but he's just one of my favorite commentators. He says, the word peace is far too limited in understanding shalom. Shalom is really a word that means well-being in all aspects of my life, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. When one Jew greeted another uh, with the word shalom, it need not mean have a nice day. It meant, may all that you need for your well-being today come to you. That's shalom. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This child is the official in charge of all shalom. This child is the well-being authority. If you really want shalom, you must come to him, for he is the only one divinely ordained to give it to you. We must go to the Prince of Peace to find well-being. Renner says, when Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, he meant it. No effort toward well-being is accomplished without the express authority of Jesus. Can I just tell you that everything, no man will ever love you enough. I got the best, and he still doesn't do it for me. No child will ever fulfill you enough. We have seven children. Do you understand? That is the perfect number. That's a number of completion. And trust me, (laughs) doesn't do it for me. You will never be thin enough. I have no idea what happens to this body, but but you you will never be thin enough. You'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be successful enough. You will never have enough money in the bank. Because when you, finally, you, when you finally get that big house that you just think you have to have to, to have well-being, 
You're just going to want somebody to clean it for you. You'll never be satisfied because you cannot find well-being in anything other than Jesus. He is your Prince of Peace. And if you are looking to find peace and well-being, contentment, oh, I deal with women all the time who are running from one man to another. You don't do it for me, I'm going to divorce you and get another one. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to find our well-being in a man or a woman. You're getting old, you're getting fat, I think I'll go look over here. It's because you're trying to find well-being and contentment in somebody that doesn't have the ability to give it to you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He is your Prince of Peace. He is your Prince of Peace. Remember, the good news Isaiah was bringing was given to a people who were living in deep darkness, facing captivity and overwhelmed by the power of their enemies. And through the prophet Isaiah, God was giving these people hope in the midst of darkness, assuring them of his presence in the midst of their pain. He was saying, I am all you will ever need. And he does the same for us tonight. You see, Christmas is about celebrating the coming of Jesus. Jesus coming into our hearts, Jesus coming into our lives, our families, our relationships. It's all about Emmanuel, the God who's with us. Shining light into our darkness, overcoming all that threatens to overwhelm us. It's about the mighty God who wants to fight our battles for us. The wonderful counselor who wants to direct us and guide our path while he restores our soul. The everlasting good, good father, loving, protecting, providing, and never relaxing his hold on us. The Prince of Peace, who, even while in the midst of turmoil and trials, show, showers us with such ridiculous peace that passes all understanding. But you know the Christmas story, and you know that there was no room for him in the inn, that they didn't make room for Jesus to be born in. And sadly, it's possible for us to leave no room in our life for him either. And just like we saw about the Israelites in Isaiah 8, all that leads is hopelessness and despair in our life. And the good news I have for you tonight is you don't need to dwell in darkness anymore. You can flip on the light switch and let Christ be born in you afresh this Advent, this Christmas season. We can decide to let the light of our world light up our life. It's a gift that's been given to us. But just like if I had a beautifully wrapped gift up here tonight, and I wanted you to have it, Sandy, if I, if I gave you this gift and I really wanted Sandy to have it, and I could say, Sandy, take it, take it, take it, what would you have to do? You'd have to take it. You'd have to receive it. And that's God. You see, Christmas morning was all about him giving a gift to you, the gift of a son, Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it's a gift he's offering to you. But it doesn't matter how beautifully it's wrapped. It doesn't matter how much he wants you to have it. You have to choose to receive it. You have to choose to take that gift from him and to apply it to your life. Unto you, a child is born. Unto you, a son is given. The angel said to Mary and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. It means God saves. But here's the cool part. It comes from the root word meaning to deliver or my favorite to rescue. Do you know what that means? Jesus means God to the rescue. <laughs> I wonder. Do you have anything in your life that you need God to come to the rescue? You see, it's possible to, to be walking in darkness and not even be aware of it. Leslie said to me, we were, we were talking, we, we just flew in this morning from Orlando, and uh, we were talking uh, over the weekend, and I was telling her about my sermon, and her face kind of went blank, and she said to me, Rhea, that, that's great, but what about the people who don't have any turmoil, turmoil and trouble in their life? And I looked at her, and I did what you just did. And I was like, are there any? And then I said, do you know what it is? She said, well, there are people who say, my life is pretty good right now. The Bible says that we're deceived by the pride of our heart. I don't care who you are tonight. 
I believe that there's areas in all of our life where we have allowed uh, the darkness to come, where we've entertained. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's trials and tribulations. Maybe it's a prodigal child. Maybe it's self-hatred. Maybe it's despair and depression and hopelessness. And you look really good on the outside, but if you're being really honest, there's an area in your life that you have not allowed God to shine his light and expose. You've not allowed him to overcome for you. I don't know what that looks like for you, but here's what I know. This week, I I, I was thinking I I should get Luke up here because, uh, Luke, do you know John Lennon's song, uh, uh, Happy Christmas or The War is Over? I can't sing at all, but you know, you know the song. I'm gonna really, it's gonna really be bad, but you know the song. And so Merry Christmas, you know that song. But in the background, it's so interesting to me. I was reading about it this week, and John Lennon hired. I said to Dave, "Can I talk about John Lennon at church?" But John Lennon hired Harlem's Children's Choir to come in and sing in the background. Do you know what they sang? War is over. War is over. Are you with me? Do you know the song? What I didn't know, Don, do we have a picture? That John Lennon, all across the United States, bought out billboards. And he did that. And look what he said. War is over if you want it. Happy Christmas from John and Yoko. All across the United States, he put those billboards up. And this week, as I looked at that, I can't even tell you. I'm sorry I have to make a sermon out of it, but that's just Rhea. But, but I looked at that, war is over if you want it. And you see, that is the Christmas message I'm declaring to you tonight. Unto you, a child is born. Unto you, a son is given. And he is a mighty God. And he's an everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. And he, dear one, is your wonderful counselor. And the war is over if you want it. But the choice is yours. Do you want it? Because he came that Christmas morning offering to overcome the darkness in your life. That every scheme, every appointment, every assignment of the enemy is foiled in your life if you allow him. He wants to fight those battles for you. He wants to shine his light into your depression and your despair and your hopelessness and light up your life with joy that's unspeakable and peace that passes all understanding. But we've got to come to a place of surrender. The war is over if you want it. The team really worked hard at the decorations at the manger tonight. Thank them before you leave. But they, they met probably, what, two months ago and they were coming up with ideas that they wanted to make this night special for you. And they came up with this idea to give you each a heart and a Sharpie. And they said, Rhea, can you make this fit? <laughs> they wanted you to be able to, to, to give something back to Jesus this Christmas season. I was thinking about a lot of messages before this one came into play, and it really worked for all those messages. And I was like, I don't know if I can make this work tonight. And then today the Lord was talking to me, and you see, the war is over if you want it. If you want to surrender those things in your life. But see, sometimes we're kind of content, just like the Israelites were. Content in the darkness. We don't expect anything different. We don't expect any change in our life. I'm going to ask Ian and the guys to come up. And as they play, I just want you to just spend a few moments and take that Sharpie. And what is the area in your life that you are having trouble letting Jesus overcome? The Bible says that he came to set the captives free. He came to release the prisoners from darkness came to bind up broken hearts. He came to give beauty for ashes and to declare a year of the Lord's favor. He wants to, to take off a spirit of heaviness and give you a garment of praise. That's why he came. But will you let him do it? And so as Ian plays, I, I just want you to take a few moments and ask the Lord, what is the area in my life that I'm really not letting you overcome? that I'm not letting your power be made perfect in my weakness. 
Would you just take a few moments and do that? And when you feel ready, I want you to write it on this heart. And then just as an act of faith, you know, it's nothing dramatic. I just want you to slip out of your pew and just come up and just lay it at the foot of the manger. Our team will take those things. And in the weeks to come, we'll be praying over them. And I'm just going to tell you, they're prayer warriors. And you should expect release to come in your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a bondage that you just can't get free of. Maybe it's a sin that you struggle with and you try to cover it up because you don't want anybody to know tonight's the night. Maybe it's a prodigal child that just brings gloom into your home. Maybe it's a marriage that feels so broken you feel like not even God can do anything here. Oh, he's up for the challenge. He is a mighty God. And so as Ian sings, I, I just really challenge you to do that. You don't, don't write your name. God knows. Remember, he's the God who knows. And then just bring it up and put it there. And I promise you, you have my word. We will begin to pray over those things. So, Father, I pray now, even as they seek your face, that you would put your gentle father finger, your Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, their healer finger, right on those areas in their life. Identify them, Lord. Shine your light on them. And, Father, I pray that you would just instill such hope, Lord God, in them you would let them feel burdens lifting tonight, bondages breaking tonight, and a deep release that comes only with knowing you, I pray, in Jesus' name. One last thing. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I know you probably look at me and say, she is one radical woman. Yeah, I am. Because you, what you don't know about me is I was lost. Oh, baby, was I lost. But now I'm found. I was blind as blind could be, but now I see. I lived my life in the muck and the mire. And he picked me up and he put my feet on solid ground and I will spend the rest of my days testifying to his power. Because if he can do it for the likes of me, there's absolutely nothing in your life that he can't do. But if you don't know him, if you haven't taken that gift from God, if you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, please don't leave here tonight without him. The Bible says that all who believe in him, he gave the right to become sons of God. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That means I've given you my life. I'm making you Lord. I'm giving up the reins of my life, and I'm giving them to you. It's that simple. But please don't leave here tonight without him. Do you understand that this world is a vapor? We're just passing through this world to get to the next one. The next one is eternal. It's forever. It's where we're going to spend forever. And the Bible says that there are two places we can spend forever, in the presence of God or in hell, which is eternal separation from God. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a, it's a place of eternal torment. Dear one, you do not want to go there. This is a gift. All you have to do is take it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift. All you have to do is receive it. If that's you and you don't know Jesus, just put it on your heart. I give you my heart. It's that simple.